Welcome to another episode of the Grove Podcast. Today, our guest on the show is Kyle Scarlett. He is one of the pastors at our Harris campus. Kyle, I'm glad you're here today. Thank you. Uh, let's just jump right in, man. Give me some um, some background information, like, uh, you know, where, where you grew up. So I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. My father, you got something you want to say? No, Nashville. I like I Nashville. I was born in Nashville. I lived in um, Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee. My dad was a pastor growing up most of my oh, life. Oh, you're a pastor's kid. PK, that's what we do. Trouble. Yep. 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 Explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It really does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he pastored, um, I mean, a handful of like small rural churches in Middle Tennessee. Say, say that again. Rural churches. Rural. It's a hard word. It is tough. Words rural, are hard. Rural, rural churches in Middle and West Tennessee. And then uh, middle school, moved to Huntsville, Alabama. They did like middle school, high school years. Okay. And then uh, after that, left Alabama, went to college in Virginia. Um, got my degree at Liberty University. Liberty. Yeah, my bachelor's degree. What, what was Liberty back then? <laughs> they were the... It's a little different. Was independent Baptist action going on. No, but I mean, they were like the flames. What what was their? Well, they still are the flames. The flames. Still, that's still the mascot. Still so the flames. Yep. Great. There's quite a few uh, flames around the church. Yeah, yeah, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. It's good. Let's uh, let's talk about some churches that you've been in. Like um, you've been on staff at um, several different churches. Let's talk. Like, just talk me through some of that. Yeah, three. Um, first church right out of seminary. I guess kind of toward the end of the seminary when I was getting close to graduating. Uh, my wife and I were starting to. Really wanted to get plugged back in. We were involved in the local church, but weren't serving, wasn't on staff. Just felt a call towards getting into youth ministry at the time. And um, a position opened up at um, North Main Baptist Church in Danville, Virginia. Okay. You ever been to Danville? Nah, maybe. Most people maybe go through. Been, yep. Maybe you've been through there. Yeah. Uh, it's about an hour north of Greensboro. Served at a church there for four years doing student ministry. Uh, then I left there um, and went to a church in Bakersfield, California, Valley Baptist Church. Wait, Bakersfield, California. Let's yep. talk about California. What is it like being at a Baptist <laughs> church in California? Yeah, a lot of people would ask that question, especially coming from the South. Uh, it's it's a little different. Uh, Bakersfield was a little different for California. How, where is Bakersfield? Bakersfield is an hour and a half north of L.A. It's kind of on the southern tip of like the, uh, what do they call it, the Central Valley. Okay. So it's very like agricultural and oil, very blue collar town. In California? Yeah, a lot of transplants from like Texas and Oklahoma. It really? felt more like Oklahoma, Texas than it did what you would think of California. Did you ever go to like LA and hang out on the weekends, mm-hmm. kind of do some stuff down there? Had season passes to Disneyland. What's up? <laughs> I'd wake the kids up on Friday sometimes and be like, hey, do you want to go to school or do you want to go to Disneyland? Wow. They chose Disneyland every time. Hmm. Good experience. It was fun. I mean, it was good. It was a really good, uh, good church. I learned a lot at both of those churches that I honestly felt like, I mean, the Lord had me there for a season and I learned so much and kind of prepared me for, you know, for being here at Hickory Grove. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's go back to the whole school thing. So you were at Liberty. What was your time at Liberty like? Which time at Liberty? How many times were you at Liberty? <laughs> I had three deployments, uh, three tours of duty at Liberty. Uh, one in 93. That was very short-lived, like maybe one semester. Why were you only there one semester? Well, I, at the end of the semester. I feel like, I feel like there's something you're... <laughs> I, I'm telling this to a lot of people, okay. but since we're just you and I talking It's here, just me and you. It's just no me and you. See this. Yeah. Um, I, I was asked not to return at, at the end of the semester. So, you know, I need more information. Uh, I can't give you too much, though. 
Uh, I don't like to glorify. You know, Were the, you a the believer at this point? Uh, that's debatable. <laughs> I, I, I believe I was a believer, but I wasn't walking with the Lord. Oh, that's. I, awesome. I was asked not to return for academic reasons. Because mm-hmm. at, at some point I was just like, I thought that class was optional. But I didn't really have a lot of direction, so this was outside okay. of kind of ministry. I, I mm-hmm. hadn't gotten to that part yet. Now, it took me a couple years or so to take took a little time off from school. I kind of got myself together, started walking closely with the Lord, took my relationship with the Lord seriously. And then I, I did take another year off to go to Ohio and work okay. just to make some money because school was expensive. What Came did you back. do in Ohio? I what, worked at a like, Chick-fil-A. What? Oh, <laughs> My brother-in-law okay. opened one, and so I helped him out. Okay. lived at their house for rent-free so I could save all my money. Do you like Chick-fil-A or do you like Popeye's better? Which chicken sandwich do you like better? I haven't had the Popeye's yet. You haven't had it yet? Every time I drive by, there's a long line. So Yeah. I, I you would, did. I would be careful. If you go, be careful. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I had their chicken sandwich. I enjoyed it. It was very, it was very. Um, Which one's better? It was delicious. It was delicious. You're not making wanna, a statement. I'm not. Jesus saw you eat that chicken sandwich. I'm okay with that. All right. So now Liberty was, uh, it was a different school back then, right? What, what was that? What was that like? Like, uh, it was early, like independent fundamentalist, you know, independent Baptist fundamentalist, um, you know, 18 years old, you know, you're spreading your wings out into the world. And I had to wear a tie to class every day. A tie every day yeah. to class, yeah. not just to like chapel services, no, like you... to class, math class, science. class. I mean, it was everything. What was the point of that? I don't know. It was what was perceived to be the most honoring to the Lord at the time. But here's what we did. So I don't know that math is honoring <laughs> to the Lord. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. But ties are. And so I would, uh, we thought, well, within the rules, we'd wear a bolo tie. A str- we would even go to the Goodwill and find like the biggest, ugliest string, like a clown tie. We wear those to class. We're like, hey, it's in the rule. And you wonder. That's the kind of life I was living. You wonder why you were asked to not come back. Yeah, no, I don't wonder it. Uh, <laughs> I can, know why I, I was I can totally asked. see that. I can totally see that. But do you know how the story ends is the question. Uh, I don't think that I do. So went uh, went back, finished up, uh, got serious about my walk with the Lord, uh, ended up taking uh, majoring in Bible classes and religion and youth ministry, um, figured out kind of the direction, ended up going to seminary. After seminary, after my second church, I got a call from someone uh, at the school, a department chair, and they wanted to award me the Alumni of the Year in Children and Family Ministry. What? Yeah. It was unbelievable. Got kicked out. Full circle. Redemption. (laughs) I am the classic redemption story when it comes to... It must have been for some sort of quota or something. Seriously, they didn't have anybody else. Right, right. "Eh, There was no one else. It's fine. I'll take it. Wow. So then I had the the little trophy on my desk, and my kids knocked it off and broke it. So I was like, feels appropriate. That's awesome. (laughs) That's fantastic. Okay, let's uh, let's fast forward. Let's get to your current role at Hickory Grove. What do you do at our Harris campus? So I was brought on as the children's pastor, and then the the role has kind of changed over time, and the title has to family discipleship pastor. So I oversee... Help lead the ministry from basically babies and infants, preschoolers, all the way through fifth grader. Okay. Now, family family pastors, so you're, I mean, you deal, obviously you deal a lot with parents. And what what is that like? Yeah, so um, a lot of that is what we see as our role in the church as being helping parents to understand their role as the primary discipler of their children. And it's not just the children's pastor or the Sunday school teacher or the Awana leader. It's mom and dad's job. And so one of the things that we try to do is to make sure that parents know that and we're helping equip them and we're resourcing them 
doing trainings, things like that. So every year we do the parent-child dedication. Right. We spend some time talking about, hey, new moms and dads, this is your job. Now, that's significantly different because I remember when I was growing up, it was pretty much like a parents felt like they were doing the doing a good and right thing if they just dropped their kids off at the church. I mean, I remember just being dropped yeah. off, being a small child, just dropped off at the church, and it was just a, a good thing. It's a good thing. It's not the best thing. It's sure. not like the best thing would be for mom and dad to see their role. You know, you go back to Deuteronomy 6 and, you know, mom and dad, this is the commandment from the Lord sure. that uh, that it's our job to talk about these things, to point your kids through the law, to teach them to walk with, with Christ. And so um, that's that's kind of the emphasis that we we try to take. That's good. That's good. Let's uh, let's talk about your family. Let's talk about your family. Uh, Carrie is your bride. Once you walk through um, all the people that's in your family, <laughs> it's not that many. It's a lot, bro. It's a couple. Uh, yeah, my wife Carrie. Uh, we've been married for it to be nineteen years in February. Nineteen. I didn't years. have to think about that. I knew it. Oh, man, I know you would. You would think it'd be less just because of my. Because you look so young. Because I look so young. Uh, yeah, we have. We've been married nineteen years. We'll be nineteen years. Uh, five kids, all girls. All. Girls, yeah. <laughs> what's that about? I didn't have a lot did, to do with it. I did you, have a lot. To, I did have some to do with it. I guess you, I chose. Yeah, right. I chose this life. Do you ever like this just pray to the Lord? <laughs> you ever pray to the Lord? Like, I mean, Lord, just m- maybe another guy in the house would be kind of cool. No, but I have started praying more for the sons-in-laws <laughs> in the future. Sons-in-laws, son-in-laws, whatever they are. Sons-in-law. Yeah, I do good. spend more time praying for them now. Oh wow! Yeah. There's going to be a couple. There's going to be a few of them. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay, so run through your family again. 14-year-old named Marley. Okay. She's a 10th grader at Hickory Grove Christian School. Marley, she is awesome. I like to call her Marls. Marls. Marls Barkley. That's what she likes. She yep. appreciates that. Yep. Adelaide, who is 6th grader middle schooler. So I got a high schooler, middle schooler. She's 11. 1st grader, who's in the Spanish immersion program at the school, named Ella. Okay. She's a linguistic whiz. Um, a 4-year-old who's in the preschool uh, named Emmy. And then a two-and-a-half-month-old named Evie. Two-and-a-half-month-old. Yeah. Wow. Once again, perpetuating my youthful... There you go. Man, there's no doubt. There's no <laughs> doubt. So now, let's talk about... So Emmy is adopted. Emmy and Evie, both yes, adopted. Yes, two. Three biological, two adopted. Yeah. Um, once you walk us through how you and Carrie came to the point of wanting to adopt or sensing a call to adopt, or just just talk about the process of adoption, how you felt the Lord impressed it into your life, um, what you've sensed from our church, because it, it's kind of a, you know, it's one of these things where everyone's talking about adoption within our culture. It kind of was kind of the, the thing to do for a little while. Um, all these celebrities adopting children and stuff like that, you know, and obviously you're a celebrity, so... That's why I adopted. <laughs> you just joined in the trend, right? So, no, once you walk us through some of that, um, what you and Carrie were praying through, how you felt the Lord wanted to use you guys in that way. So, uh, I feel like it goes back to the my first missions trip that I took when I was in college. When I started walking with the Lord, I went on a mission trip to Kenya. I knew nothing about orphan care. I knew nothing about an orphanage. Growing up, I didn't know anybody was adopted. Nobody was in foster care. It was just not on my radar. Went on a missions trip. This would have been like... 99, 2000, something like that. Went on a mission trip to Kenya. We visited several orphanages. And it was just like God opened my eyes to a world that I didn't know existed, I mean, honestly. And I remember coming back after Carrie and I had just started hanging out and were 
friends, but I was considering maybe there's more here. I'd asked her, like, hey, would you just kind of ask her one day, like, would you, if you, since God called, like, would you go and live, like, in Sudan and run an orphanage? I just want to kind of throw that out there. That was kind of, like, extreme. That sounds pretty extreme. Yeah, I I would do that. And then I slowly but surely God confirmed it. And, you know, that's the lady for me. Now, it took us a long time to get to the point of where we are with two actual adopted kids. I mean, years. Um, It was kind of a... It would be a hot topic. We talk about it. We pray about it, and something would happen in our life. You know, we moved around a little bit, and maybe we just felt like we weren't settled, or maybe now it's not the right time. Or you know, we were having our own kids, um, their own kids, but you know, we're having biological children, and so we just never really got comfortable with this was the time. And I guess about man, it's been about four years now. Uh, we really got serious about it. There was just stuff was going on. People around us. It's like every time we turn the corners, like that person was adopting this family member. We have several, at least three or four family members who have adopted domestically and internationally. It just was like, it was like a theme that was kind of running through our story. And we're like, we just couldn't get away from it. And we really got serious about praying about it. And I started looking into options. And I mean, for months, I hit like every roadblock. Like I'd make a phone call. I would submit an online you know, application. I would send an email to somebody and nobody returned. I didn't get any returns. And so for months, we were, we were thinking maybe this was God kind of shutting the door, saying this was not for you guys. So one day, yeah, Pastor Clint uh, texted me out of the blue, and he said, hey, there's this guy that's local. He had just become the president of a local uh, adoption agency. He's been wanting to have lunch with me. Would you set something up with him? Because Pastor Clint and I had been kind of talking, and he was kind of counseling us through it. And uh, so we did within the next week and um, had a good lunch, learned a lot of things that was going on. And he said at that meeting, uh, at that lunch meeting, he's like, hey, we're having an information meeting tomorrow night. Shared it with Carrie. She was like, let's just go. We, we didn't, even at that time, we were like, I'm not really sure we're supposed to do this. Are we supposed to support? Mm-hmm. We went to that meeting, and there was a time where they kind of gave the full pitch of adoption and foster care and what it looks like, mainly international and domestic. And at the end, they were like, okay, if you want to go to adopt uh, domestic, go here. If you want to go international, here. And we looked at each other. And we're like, I don't, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And just kind of weighing some of the practical, logistical things. We're like, let's just go to international. It just made sense. We're like, okay, let's go. And for some reason, there was something that happened in that meeting um, that the Lord just kind of confirmed with us on the way home. It was like he just put us on the same page, Mm -hmm. like really for the first time. Mm -hmm. And we were like, I feel like we're supposed to pursue adopting a little girl from China. And we both sensed that. Mm -hmm. And we kind of walked out of there. And the next day, we were doing applications, and so then that started that process, which ended up being about a year and a half process. Wow, that's a long time. To, to actually from starting the application to getting her. Mm-hmm. So That's a really long time. Now, walk us through how adoption is a, a big piece of the gospel. We hear about the gospel all the time at church. We are always talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, but how does, how does adoption fit into gospel yeah i mean there's uh i think one of it's one of the to me i mean i guess practically speaking but then also thinking about how we or any of us as believers have been adopted into i mean you say the family of god i mean Mm -hmm. that's really is is what has happened that's Mm -hmm. romans 8 pastor spoke recently on that when you think about that we are now heirs with christ that we were fatherless we were orphans before we were spiritual orphans but now through what Christ has done for us on the cross, we're now children of God. That we have, I mean, the language is used of adoption. We have mm-hmm. been adopted right. 
Ephesians 1 talks about that. Practically, a lot of people go to James 1.27 that talks about, you know, pure and undefiled religion is taking care of orphans and widows. And um, so you kind of put those together that there's a there's a gospel piece to it, that that's, that's how God sees us. I mean, that's that's our relationship with God. That's who we are in Christ. And then there's a practical piece of, well, then if that's what the gospel has done in my life, then I should and hopefully can figure out ways to apply that practically mm-hmm. on a day-to-day, whether that's caring for orphans, adopting, supporting them. There's a lot of different ways to do it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, once you walk us through Emmy's adoption, you said she's from China. Um, walk us through, I mean, I— I remember when y'all were going through that process and just thinking, man, it's so many unknowns and a lot of ups and downs and a lot of waiting. I mean, you said a year and a half, so there's a lot of waiting and anticipation and you're nervous and all, all kinds of stuff. Just walk us through the emotion of of all of that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest pieces that I, I didn't mention earlier, I think one of the things that we were really hesitant about was the financial piece. Sure. And it's the number one reason why people don't pursue it. Because mm-hmm. you look at a big number, $30,000, $35,000, and you're like, I don't have that. I mean, most people don't. They're not sitting on that. And we certainly weren't. And I just got to a point to where um, getting us to that point and even through the process, it was um, it was something that I had to constantly repent of, that I didn't trust and believe God that wow. he was supplying, mm-hmm. that he was going to provide for us. And he just did it in really kind of miraculous ways of providing through people, through church members, through family, through grants. I mean, ways that we were completely not expecting. Mm-hmm. So there was that emotional roller coaster piece of, of how he was he was supplying all of our needs for this. Um, but, you know, yeah, there was a, a long waiting process. Um, the way that we did it, we were being, we filled out all these applications and they ask you, the agency asked, you know, not really what you're looking for, but like what would you accept? What needs are you open to? And one thing you have to remember, just about every situation in adoption and foster care, a kid, there's going to be some sort of need, some level of trauma. There's a reason that they have been abandoned or orphaned, or even if a mom has a birth plan, I mean, there's a reason for that. So you got to consider all of those things. And so we were open to kind of, I guess at the time it was labeled as minor special needs. We just didn't feel like our family was equipped for major special needs. A lot of families are, and that's great. And so we were just kind of waiting. We had actually looked at a few files that our um, caseworker sent us that we felt like wasn't a good match for our family. And, you know, that's gut-wrenching to think that you know, I said no to this child. And um, But it led us to, who you know, our daughter. And so, you know, it's funny because it was, um, it had been two years ago in Staffordshire is when we got mm-hmm. an email. Woke up one morning. Really early, I see it on the phone, and our caseworker was like, hey, I've got this file of a two-year-old. She's got cleft lip and cleft palate. Um, she's at this small orphanage, and I think she might be a good fit. Obviously, there's going to be some surgeries involved. Mm-hmm. And it was. It felt like immediately that Carrie and I were like, that's her. And so. Now, there, there was a point in time where in China, it was, it was good to have a son. Yeah. Daughters weren't looked upon very um, very well. And so, um, did you find that a lot of the children that are in China waiting to be adopted are girls? That's good. I think it's, I think the, the, the program as a lot of people call just the adoption and the, the child, the child welfare program Mm -hmm. there in the country has kind of evolved over time. 
Uh, there was a time where, I mean, China mandated that kids could, I mean, families could only have one child from I mean, the one child policy, which was lifted several years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you'll regularly see Chinese families who have two, maybe even three families. It's also looked at as a sign of wealth. Mm-hmm. When, if somebody from China finds that we have five kids, dude, we're loaded. Which oh, is wow. not the case, right, but, right. but you know, and so, um, yeah, I mean, you would either find, I say, I guess, predominantly girls in orphanages mm-hmm. or the needs of, of boys were, you know, rather significant. Yeah. But the good thing is, even in China and some, some other Asian countries right now, the, the countries have seen an increase in in-country adoptions, okay. which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And some of that is a response of what church is doing yeah. in those areas. So, so that's Emmy. Now let's move on to Evie. So you have another adopted daughter, and she is how would you say two, two, two and months? a half, two and a half months. Two and a half, she'll, yeah. Walk and us, half walk us through that story. I mean, that's that's recent. That's fairly recent, yeah. and um, it would be, I guess, classified as a private domestic adoption. Okay. Um, this was not something that we were pursuing, um, but obviously the Lord was pursuing us for this. Absolutely. And so I guess back in the spring, I got a randomly got an email from somebody who knew who I was and knew that I was involved um, with adoption and foster care. And so I just kind of began a process and a conversation of uh, a young mom who was uh, pregnant and wasn't really sure what she was going to do. Um, we knew that she wasn't going to terminate or anything like that, which is what we were praying about. And through the conversation, it just came up that, if I decide to place this child for adoption, I would like your family. I mean, that's a wow. tremendous like responsibility. Absolutely. And and <clears throat> Carrie and I prayed about it. And I would say adoption or just growing our family at the time was definitely a back burner issue. But God's like, hey, let me slide that to the front for you. Right. And so, um, yeah, just through some conversation and praying and God confirmed and she made the decision and called us and said, I want you guys. Wow. Uh, adopter and so we were able to be there in the hospital when she was born and that, and that kind of stuff doesn't happen all the time no i'd say it's really rare yeah it's, it's really rare that's so awesome a lot you of people were. want that to happen right but i don't know it's, it doesn't it doesn't it happen, doesn't happen a whole lot and so it's just one of those things that like we're still kind of blown away by the goodness of god mm-hmm. and the grace of god and how that worked out with a with a family and a birth mom who was you know that we love and that we're very supportive of and they've been very supportive of us so so there, there's a lot of people up here. I'm, I'm at the Mallard Creek campus, and so I've got a lot of friends up this way who are in the foster care system or process or whatever that is. They, they have children that's in their home. They're fostering these children. Um, how, how can you encourage um, our church just to come around and, and help those people? What, give me some ideas of ways that we can help people who are in that process, because it is tough. It is oh, yeah. Tough. Yeah. I, I remember my, my wife worked, um, you know, she was a social worker. Um, she worked with kids in therapeutic foster care when, when we were first married. <clears throat> and it was tough. It was hard. And she would always have to try to find um, people to do like some sort of respite care or mm-hmm. whatever. And sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult to find those people that, are, that have the heart to want to help. But we as a church, we want to come behind these families. So maybe give us a couple things that we could do to, to help these families out. Yeah, um, you know that's been one of the kind of the uh, the growing uh, needs and uh, the the families that we've seen in the church. I don't know of really maybe a couple that are going through the international process right now. We have had several families at both campuses that have really gotten involved in foster care, um, and some are just looking to grow their family or they're just wanting to provide a safe gospel centered home for a child, even for a short period of time. 
So that that seems to be kind of a, a hot button issue in the church, especially like in Charlotte, Mecklenburg County in our area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the number is like 11,000 kids are in the foster care system right now. Wow. And we've probably got, I don't know, 15 to 20 in our church. That number hopefully will grow over the over time. And so um, practical ways of helping those families. Uh, that's a tough thing because it, it's hard. one of the things we struggle with in trying to, to think through a, a kind of a comprehensive orphan care ministry is a lot of these families are just doing it. You know, like they don't come and ask anyone's permission in the church. They're right. just like, I'm going to do this. We feel like the Lord's calling us to do this. And most of them are not going to ask for anything. Sure. They're not going to ask for, hey, I need this or help this. But what we have found is in talking to some of them is, I mean, I say, number one, it's cliche, but man, we need people praying for them. I mean, honestly. And if you know who these families are, or you know of somebody who knows who that family is, I would say most of them would love for you to approach them and ask them, like, what is something tangible okay. and practical that I can do for you? That's good. I mean, even this week, sometimes it can be babysitting. It can be uh, meals. I mean, a lot of these families are juggling home study issues and caseworkers and DSS. Uh, maybe they have to go to court. They got to go to the doctor. They got school stuff. And a lot of these families are not bringing in one kid. I mean, some of them are bringing in two, three, and four kids mm-hmm. at, at a time. Mm-hmm. So that's a big adjustment. It is. So for somebody to say, here, I'm here to support you with a meal or some babysitting or a financial gift, or I'm praying for you, or I'm going to come over and cut your grass. Those things are huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the ways that we um, we actually set up on the church's website, like if you go to the church's website and you click under the tab, I believe it's under resources, there's a tab that says um, adoption and foster care. Or, or support, okay. you can support those families. There's a um, um, kind of a form to fill out. It gives us like six or seven ways that you can support. And so we get those periodically. And then we try to match those up with families mm, who are okay. in that process That's or right. who just started that process. Or maybe that, um, you know, we know that they have a certain need that we can, you know, get the body of Christ to help meet right now. So mm-hmm. well, let's transition just a little bit um, into, um, let's go back to your your current role as the family discipleship pastor at our Harris campus. Um, talk to talk to me about a little bit of the, maybe some of the problems that are facing families today. Like I know, you know, we talked earlier about parents um, being the main discipler of their children. Um, but what are, what are some, what are some ways uh, parents can, can do that? How can they provide some sort of stability in their home? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing, you know, and this is something that we talk about in the pastors. I mean, a lot of the pastors on staff have kids. A lot of it boils down to um, intentionality. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of a buzzword, but when I realize, especially when it comes to family discipleship, like in my own home, like moms and dads, the family has to they have to decide. And we we got to set a, set aside time. We've got to figure out a way to be intentional about doing this. It mm-hmm. doesn't just happen. You know, we maybe provide resources or provide tools on the church end, but a mom and dad has to carve out time during the week or say, I'm going to use this dinner time around the table to be intentional, to have spiritual conversations, to practice gospel fluency and to try to weave stories of the gospel or sin or the goodness of God into those conversations. Um, we have to be intentional about doing that. We have to see that as, as our responsibility. Sometimes kids are going to bring that up naturally or they heard something in Sunday school or they saw something on the news and we can speak to that. But we're the ones that have to kind of drive that and initiate those conversations uh, with them. I think that is, is helpful. And I think, like, for us, you guys are probably kind of similar. Our kids are a little bit younger, even though I have a 14-year-old. Um, 
Like we're really structured in our home. Just we don't do a lot of stuff. Like we're actually kind of boring. So like, hey man, boring's good. I'm <laughs> I'm a homebody. I like being at home. We have a lot of structure in in our home. We don't do a terrible amount of stuff. You know, our kids are involved in sports and stuff like that, and sure. school and church and and all that kind of stuff and different activities and stuff. And, but we we do try to provide a lot of structure within our home. One of the ways, one of the things we do, um, you know, we try to limit screen time um, with cell phones or tablets or whatever. Which is hard. It, it is hard. Actually, my kids don't have cell phones yet. So th- this is, um, I also have a 14-year-old, <laughs> and I realize how difficult it is. I'm probably ruining his life, Miles. I don't mean to, but... <laughs> I just know that there's a lot of there's a lot that goes there's a lot of responsibility that comes with owning a cell phone, having the world in your hand yeah. that, you know, my my youngest is nine and she's got friends that um, have unlimited amounts of time or access to their. Whether, you know, an iPod or a parent's phone or an iPad or whatever, they just can do whatever they want, whenever they want. Yeah. And we just uh, we see that as dangerous. And so we provide a lot of structure in, um, in, in, our, in our home because of that. Yeah, I, I mean, we do the same thing. I mean, obviously, we have only have one that, that has a phone right now, but trying to monitor as much as we can. That phone stays downstairs. It's locked mm-hmm. up at night. Uh, we don't just, you don't just have free reign to the phone whenever. Mm-hmm. There's so much on the Internet, even just text threads that are happening between friends or not friends. Um, social media is, is another thing that, got to be constantly monitored. I mean, it should be monitored for most adults. But a 14-year-old is not equipped you, you know, know, emotionally I, and mentally to navigate that. I see some of the posts that you guys put on Facebook. <laughs> Maybe we should put some structure I know who you're talking on about. some of the adults. <laughs> uh, I didn't mention the yeah, names. But it's, I'm just saying. But it's an issue, though. And, and then it, But it's so easy because, you know, a screen is so captivating. I mean, you can hand it to a 2-year-old or a 5-year-old, mm-hmm. and they're locked in on it. And it, I mean, there are studies that are coming out that how it's it's rewiring kids' brains, yeah. too much screen time, and so I'm not saying that we're completely against it because we use it, but can we figure out ways to use it beneficially? Is there a way to use it where it's productive? Is there a way that you know it honors the Lord? Uh, you know, especially you tell us, man, you're the pastor. Social of that stuff. media <laughs> issues. I mean, it's just tough because you know, and and adults deal with this. I mean, so many issues of self-worth and finding oh, their man. identity and, right. and all of these posts right. and pictures and selfies. Uh, and we just have to kind of fight against that. You know, Pastor mm-hmm. talked about that recently, like uh, how, like culturally, how do we look different from the church? Mm-hmm. I mean, how do we look different from the world? How does mm-hmm. the church look different from the world? That's got, that should be one of those areas that we're, we're being intentional about. And we're thinking that thinking through like, how does this enhance or how does this help our walk with the Lord? And then what does that look like in the lives of our kids? Now, is it possible for a family who has given pretty much free reign to their kids with social media or cell phones or all that kind of stuff, or maybe not having much structure in their home, is it possible for them to begin to set up that structure? And if so, what does that what does that look like? How how can it? Yeah, be? that's a tough one, especially Are if you've given gone? free reign and then they've done everything and then you try to pull that back. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to do it incrementally. It'd be tough to come in and say you're never having a phone again, you're never having right. a tablet again, you're not going to ever watch Netflix, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you can begin to back that off depending on their age. Um, but it'd be good to kind of restructure that time or reframe that time instead of just here, go up in your room and, and have this time. Let's be intentional about the time that we're spending with our kids. Uh, let, let's, let's spend some time having those conversations or doing things together that are going to benefit. And then hopefully through that, 
we're having gospel conversations. We're talking about, hey, how did you see the Lord working in your life today? What are some things that you're thankful for? You know, for us, like, we try to retool some of those times. Bedtime is a good time for mm-hmm. us. We are and we are not the best at it, I sure. would be honest, inconsistent. Sure. And uh, there are times where we do it well or seasons where we do family discipleship and family worship. So our family worship time, you know, I would read a passage and then we would talk about it over dinner. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I felt like it was going pretty well the first time. I felt accomplished, like, okay, I'm a pastor at a church. I should be able to do this. It should be pretty easy. Next thing you know, I got, you know, uh, kids who, you know, they don't want to eat this particular food or whatever, and they're complaining about that. And I'm trying to read the Bible, and it ends up, you know, I'm yelling at my kid, like, hey, I'm trying to read the Bible, right, you know, stop families. talking. Yeah, so then family worship time is like down the tubes. And I feel so discouraged or whatever. You know, Platt came, uh, David Platt came one time, and uh, I think he was, it was when we were hosting Secret Church. Um, he was talking about his family worship time. And I, you know, I felt so good about this because it, it was just good for my soul to hear him say, you know, we get into family worship. You know, I don't have a good plat kind of voice, but maybe it's something is intense. I don't know. Anyway, so he would uh, talk about, yeah, yeah, you know, we do our family worship time and about 10 minutes in, we're just full on wrestling on the floor. And so I was thinking, okay, well, if David Platt, you know, Felt a lot of relief. Uh, you, the weight had been lifted. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, you know what? If we can pray together, read the Bible together, even if it's just two times a week, um, man, that's that's still refreshing. Yeah. It's still good. I Now I'm currently taking uh, my oldest, Miles. We go to breakfast one day a week, and it's just our opportunity just to catch up, talk about school, talk about sports, talk about life, talk about church, the things he's learning on Sundays in Sunday school or small group on Sunday nights or student ministry on Wednesday nights. We talk through all of that stuff. And it's it's really neat. And so what you said about being intentional, yeah, that's I mean, that's a that's a big part of it. You know, Wednesday nights are late for us, but then Thursday mornings we get up early and we go grab a um, you know, a chicken biscuit over at Chick-fil-A and then take them to school. And so that's um it's been effective for us. You know, it's been good. Is that kind of what like what what does your family work Yeah, for? um we don't get the chicken biscuit, though. I need I to mean, incorporate that. That's helpful. Maybe if Popeye's had breakfast. Mm. Popeye's chicken and biscuit. Mm, there you go. Popeye, you listening to this? <laughs> Maybe we... Try to get a sponsorship <laughs> from Popeye's? <laughs> I don't want that. Uh, yeah, I, I think for us, and like it's something that's frustrating, and I always honestly feel like I kind of fail at, I'm mean, just being honest, um, but it's one that periodically Karen and I will sit down, like, we need to do this more. Mm. We need to do this better. Uh, we need to be a little more intentional about this, whether it's praying whether it is talking about what's going on and a, maybe applying what I know the kids are memorizing in Awana for that week, mm-hmm. or, hey, Pastor talked to this on, about this on Sunday, so how can we weave that into that dinner conversation? Um, and it doesn't have to, I feel like it doesn't have to be, kind of like you, like, I got a 10-minute sermon, we're going to do two songs, somebody's going to take up an offering, <laughs> we're going to pray, right. and if we're lucky, somebody's going to get baptized, right. you know, and so that never happens, right. it's, it's terrible, and, you know, sometimes it's just like, hey, we're going to pray five minutes before we go to bed, mm. everybody, the whole family, yeah. and sometimes it might be broken off where the middle kids, I'm praying with them and reading the Bible story, and then I might spend some time after that talking to the older kids, mm. you know, even for five minutes, I mean, that, that's a big deal, yeah. but it's just... Good. The little pieces, instead of trying to have this grand picture, mm-hmm. like what are the little pieces every day that, that I'm trying to be intentional about weaving the gospel into mm-hmm. to what's happening in the house? Yeah. So. 
There's a lot to talk about with that, though. It, so. that is, that, there's a whole lot <laughs> But there. to say that, I think you and I, I mean, when we talk to families and the people that we know and the families, just keep at it. Like, don't mm -hmm. stop. Don't get discouraged. Right. I mean, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to feel like a failure. But, I mean, if me and you and David Platt, we're struggling with it, like, just keep at it. Like, right. pick it up. Do something different the next week. But, but stay in the Word. Pray with your kids. Pray for your kids. Sing songs together. I mean, and I think that's eventually going to continue to point them to Christ. So. Yeah. So I, you know, I just, I just picture in my head like, at your house, you guys. <laughs> We're not wrestling that much. A no, little bit. We wrestle a little bit. You're not wrestling, but maybe like your family worship time turns into like I just imagine you with some <laughs> curlers in your hair, kind of doing like a Miley Cyrus party in the USA. Because you got all girls. It's, it's man. not far off. All I mean, girls. I've at never your had. House. I have. I don't know if I have curlers mm -hmm. in my hair. Be careful. I'm sure there's a picture out there floating there's, around somewhere. There's a lot of dance parties that happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. we take the Old Testament seriously. David dancing before the Lord. My children do that. Um, I, I would imagine there are a lot of tears shed at our, yeah. at our home. I mean. Four out of five kids. Somebody's crying at my house almost all the time. Oh, oh girls, man. Seriously. That's tough. You just learn to kind of tune it out. That's yeah. what Carrie's like. Do you not hear that? No. I don't know what you're talking about, babe. Just turn up Taylor Swift a little louder. <laughs> a little T-Swizzle? T-Swizzle? Yeah. Is that? I don't know. That's what I call her. I felt pretty good just knowing her name. Yep, well. So. we T-Swizzle. There you have All it. All girls, <clears throat> six women in my house. Wow. Man, that's... It's a lot to digest. That That is a lot. That That is a lot. Let's, uh, since you mentioned music, <laughs> maybe I mentioned music. <laughs> I, Let's talk. Let's just kind of wrap this up. Let's talk about a little bit of music. Oh. We have a we have a connection in the fact that we both, you know, I graduated high school a couple years after me in the nineties. Yep, 90s. you graduated. I was in the nineties. Also in the nineties. Nineties, yeah. But you graduated long before I. Well, a little bit earlier. So I grew up listening to, like I I didn't like the eighties at all. I like the eighties. I didn't like the eighties at yeah, all. I didn't like the mullet. They turned the corner. I didn't like the. <laughs> Hair bands? Did you like? I didn't like the hair bands. Come on now. No, I just didn't, man. Bon Jovi. I just, I just, I don't care for that. Okay. I don't care for that. But <laughs> the '90s, I felt like it's a new, new decade. The '90s was like it was the the uh, <laughs> our our connection. Just say it. Just like, say it. Come it's on. It's like the '90s R and B kind of hip hop. '90s R and B and hip hop. That's in our wheelhouse. Like, but I like the I like the hip hop where they just rap about. Um, how much money they made. Like, no one... Which wasn't a lot back then. Well, probably. it wasn't a lot, I'm sure, but no one talked about... Like Tribe Called Quest? Hurting anyone or whatever. <laughs> it was just all about just, hey, let's just make some good music. Yeah. You can kind of bob your head to it and ride down the road with, yep. you know? We're so, battling on the streets. It's good. I like that kind of stuff, man. Yep. You know, like, I, I'm not a, I'm not above even, like, some like some breakdance so, music, you know? Like, the only violence was breakdance fighting, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I didn't... Take this through the cardboard, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind that, but that's our connection because you you like a lot of that. Kind I of do. Stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I Which mean, it's is in my so wheelhouse. Strange, so strange. Say it. Why? It's it's strange. It man. is strange. Well, yeah. I mean, I like uh, you know. Let's see. You want to talk about them? I, I don't. Casey Jojo. I don't know. Bell Biv DeVoe. I don't know. Bobby that. Brown. Yeah. Tevin Campbell. I was listening to Tevin Campbell the other day with my kids in the car. Can we talk? <laughs> you know that one? And my kids are like booing me. Do boo. We've Turn gone, it off. We've man. gone downhill quickly. All right, sorry. Quickly. That's, no, that was not. You, you know, you should you should sing more. Yeah. Well, Kyle, you should be in John Stegmerton. You should you be in the choir. John, <laughs> sign him up for choir, man. He's got a good voice. Let the man sing. 
Give him a microphone. Let him do his thing. I'll do it. So, man, that's awesome. So we'll uh, we'll stop recording and we'll get to listen to some music for a little bit before you before you head <laughs> off. All right. So, Kyle, thank you so much for being here today, man. This was really fun. It's fun. It's so great to hear the story of adoption. How we um, as the church can come alongside and, and play a part and help. And um, man, it's just neat to hear your story. Um, everyone's got a story, and everyone's story um, is it's good, it, and it's good to share that story and good to share it with, with other people. And so, thank you very much for, for uh, talking Appreciate about it. that today. Um, we have resources on the website that Kyle mentioned earlier, so be sure to check those out. Um, thanks for checking out this episode of The Grove. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Mm-hmm.